<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Guardians of the Galaxy. The fate of the universe lies on your shoulders. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button. Because that will set off the bomb immediately, and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I agree. No! Now that's the button that will kill everyone. Try again. I am Groot. Mm-hmm. I am Groot. Uh-huh. I am Groot. No! Showtime, a-holes. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and the story is as follows. The team struggles to keep its newfound family together as it tries to unravel uh, the mystery of Peter Quill's true parentage in the outer reaches of the galaxy. This film is starring Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillan, Palm Clementieff, Elizabeth Debicki, Chris Sullivan, Sean Gunn, Sylvester Stallone, and Kurt Russell. It is written and directed by James Gunn. Joining me for this review, I have Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. And Mike Vermet. Hello. Alrighty, so we're going to have a spoiler section, so let's try to avoid any major plot details initially here when discussing the film. I will first just start off by saying that I have seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy film only once. I saw it in theaters when it was released in 2014. I liked it. I didn't love it like so many other people did. Um, And that's clearly evidenced by the fact that I have only seen it that one time. I never, ever, ever felt the need to ever go back and rewatch it again. Um, I will leave my thoughts on the sequel, though, lying uh, around, though, until we get around to myself. Uh, Let's start off with you, though, Kristen. What was your experience heading into this film, and what did you ultimately think of it? Um, I saw the original when it came out in theaters. I went in cold. I had no concept of what it was, and I really enjoyed it. And I've only seen it in pieces since. I I actually haven't rewatched the first one all the way through since it was in theaters. So, I don't know. I went into this one with expectations of, okay, well, it's James Gunn. I like most of what James Gunn has done. This was before those horrific comments that he made about female superheroes came out this week. Um, so I was interested, but I wasn't excited. I'm not a Marvel person. I don't get excited. I'm not a DC person either. So when somebody sends me an email saying, oh, well, you were paid by DC. Um, no, I, I'm not real big on this the style of filmmaking that we have going on right now. So... I don't know. This was um, meh for me. <laughs> okay. All right. And Mike Vermette? Um, well, you know, as everybody knows who listens to this podcast, I am a huge fan of Marvel. Um, I love all their stuff. But Guardians was the one that I wasn't, like, the happiest with. Like, I liked it. And I thought it was fine. I didn't understand the accolades that people were giving it and saying that it was, like, the best Marvel movie Um, I had only seen it 
once in theaters, uh, once when it came out on Blu-ray. So when I walked into this, I did the double feature. So they showed, you know, Guardians 1 first and then into Guardians 2. Rewatched Guardians 1 and kind of felt the same way that I think it's good, but I definitely don't think it's, like, top-tier Marvel. Um, then this one hit, which I was expecting really nothing from, uh, based on the trailers. I didn't think it looked that great. And I fucking loved it. I thought they really crushed it with this one. I think it's heads and tails better than the original. Um, and it's it's interesting because it feels less like a full like arc of a comic book and more like a standalone like side story. So I liked that it was kind of smaller in scope than the first one um, and told a more intimate like story. So I really liked it. You know, it's very interesting because... Everyone I talk to, if they like the first film, they tend to not really like this one as much, like like Kristen. And then for people like uh, me and you, Michael, who saw the first film, just thought it was okay, really, really like this one more. And what I've come to realize and understand as to why I think that might be is because I think that this film focuses more on character than it does on the set pieces and also to a certain extent the plot as well. You know, when you really chalk it up at the uh, end of the film, not much really happens in this movie as far as plot is concerned. You know, there's the whole idea of Peter Quill discovering who his true father is, which has been shown in the marketing to be Kurt Russell. But Really, it's more so about the relationships that these characters share with one another. And when you're going to focus in on that, especially, you have to be able to juggle different personality types, make sure every character gets their moment. And I was really, really impressed with the exception of maybe, say, Sylvester Stallone. Every single character in this movie has a character arc, has character development has genuine moments that are memorable. I was really, really impressed at how well he was able to handle this with such a large, large group of characters. Yeah, I mean, the returning cast definitely feels like more comfortable in their roles this time out, especially seeing them back to back. It's just really evident that they all feel more comfortable in this universe, portraying these characters that they are, especially people like Drax, um, who I think his humor lands a lot better in this one than it did in the first one. Um, or somebody like Karen Gillan, who's given a lot more to do as Nebula than she did in the first one. Um, she's very awkward. Like watching that first one again, I feel like her scenes are super, super awkward. Um, but this one, I think she turns out a really good performance and she's a pretty, you know, conflicted, like gray area hero. So I liked that a lot. What do you think, Kristen? I was, I think that this continues to suffer from every problem that I have with every Marvel movie that's come out in the last over year. Um, I thought the first one was a really fun story about, you know, a scrappy gang of characters that was not something that we had seen in in the comic book movies that preceded it. I mean, you have a talking raccoon in the sentient tree as your protagonist. (laughs) So what seemed fresh and unique in just a couple years doesn't feel that way. It didn't feel that way to me. Um, This movie has every problem that I have with Marvel. There's an overabundance of villains. If everybody complained about Spider-Man 3 having too many villains, I thought this suffered from the same problem because... Hold on, wait, wait, wait. We got to count this then, if that's the case. So there's the main villain, which we're not going to reveal. There's Elizabeth uh, Debicki's uh, Uh character that is all the gold people, right? And you have Yondu's crew and the mutiny that they're coming for, for Peter as well. But that's only three. That's three. We had, Didn't we have the same amount? I didn't see Spider-Man 3. Uh, so didn't they Spider-Man have Spider-Man 3's like, got three villains. So. Yeah, so it's the same amount. If we're complaining about the same things. Um, it's a lot different, though. I mean, the, char- the villains in um, Spider-Man 3 were trying to be given equal screen time. I mean, this one, you know, I don't want to spoil too much about the plot, but... Elizabeth Debicki's character. Elizabeth Debicki's character is unnecessary. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. It's more just set up than anything else. It's set up, and that's the other thing that I don't like about Marvel movies at this point. I don't give a shit about a movie telling me three movies down the line this is all going to pay off. Um, It's the same problem. And that's where I think the plot um, 
the plot criticism comes into play. Like I said before, not much really ultimately happens. And, because and that's, they, yeah, that was the big problem. This is a two-hour, 2.20 movie. And you have characters that pop up purely to create conflict, like a video game. Um, you have, you know, the main setup with um, Chris Pratt's character, and I thought Chris Pratt continued to be a dick, and knowing that he's kind of a dick off screen didn't really help me. Um, I had issues with the characters. I thought that they kind of took a Hangover 2 approach and just kind of rewrote them to be complete opposites from what they were in the first film, um, specifically Zoe Saldana's character. Um, I just... Everything that I liked about the first film bothered me in this version. Even the soundtrack bothered me in this version because post Suicide Squad it just seems like hey you like music from the 70s and 80s well we're gonna give you one um and and here in this case it's a lot of on the nose songs where the original film felt like a mixtape of like somebody's feelings and emotions you have a scene where a character is literally introduced with and it's not a spoiler but they're using George Harrison's My Sweet Lord. And I'm like, oh, really? Really? That's, uh, there's two uses of Fleetwood Mac's The Chain, which is my favorite Fleetwood Mac song, that left me thinking, okay, are they just auditioning for a Rumors biopic? Um, it just felt, and, and of course, there's a Cat Stevens song at the end. Um, so it's just, everything felt very pointed. Nothing felt like it wasn't sat down with a bunch of people in a studio and was carefully, nothing, you know, in the first film where everything felt unique and new, like maybe somebody at the helm was like, you know, let's just go for fun. This seemed very, very controlled. And I just, I was left completely cold. Okay, now I gotta, I gotta address a couple different things here because um, you bring up a couple of points, all of which I have heard from other people. Once again, I have the exact same, like, opposite reaction yeah, like, I, I thought the soundtrack in the first film was distracting um and i actually thought that the soundtrack from the first film was a gimmick that was used to get people suckered into the movie because they knew that these characters were unknown and it was this uh group of misfits and that it was really really hard to market the film around that um where this time around i really thought the soundtrack um, complimented the film so much more. And I, I really got that vibe right away with what I think is the best opening credit sequence since Deadpool last year uh, with Baby Groot dancing while uh, all the that characters are fighting that villain. That was cute. I, I will say maybe, maybe I just got, you know, and the thing is, is that the movie really embraces the soundtrack where it was just kind of part of who Star-Lord was in the first film and nobody really drew comments to it. Um, A, if you're looking for, you know, songs that you're going to know, uh, it was really funny. Nobody in my, my theater was predominantly younger than me. Um, everybody thought these were like B, B cuts. Nobody knew any of the songs, which I thought was very funny. Um, but when you have two characters constantly having to bring up lyrics of a song to deconstruct them all the time, comes really annoying that was my big that was my big thing i'm like we get it you have the use of this song we need to bring it up but we don't need to heart i mean literally there is a scene where they're going on like a treaties deconstructing a song by i, I love that when they're deconstructing I, I felt that I, so annoying i love that song i love that they were like talking about it like deconstructing it i'm like oh uh, man that makes a lot of sense you know that chris pratt is the sailor i was like totally with it you know, there are so many one-liners, uh, and in my opinion, good-natured humor in this movie, and such um, jokes and uh, one-liners that they throw at each other really just helps to create like a camaraderie amongst all members of the group. But then you have a character like Rocket, for example, who is completely insecure and is totally a dick to everybody around him, um, and he does this deliberately. And I really, really like that he becomes such an empathetic uh, character uh, through this. And, you know, you have Drax who's still mourning the loss of his uh, his family from the first film. Um, you have the sister rivalry between Nebula and um, uh, Gamora. And then you have Peter who is also coming to grips with uh, his father being this 
unimp- uh, I'm going to say this wrong, but an omnipotent godlike being. And I think for me, I, I just the fact that, like I said, James Gunn was able to handle all of this and balance it really, really struck a chord with me emotionally. Like, I was very shocked that I actually cared about these characters. Even if, to, you know, address your criticism there, um, Kristen, some of them are, you know, a couple of douchebag, uh, douchebags at the end of the day here. You know, I mean, even a character like Yondu, who I was always confused if he's a villain or if he's a good guy. I don't really know. Um, he's got a great character arc in this film as well. You know, which was something I was really not expecting uh, heading into this movie. Having watched them both back to back, I feel like there's a real organic growth between the two movies. Like the characters really do grow, like between the two movies, they're very they show up at similar points, and like I think the continuation is really well earned in this movie. Like it really is them like growing and changing. Like they're not just the same character. Like you know, you take Iron Man for example. You watch, like, the first three Iron Man movies. He's just... He's Iron Man. He's just, like, a douchebag. Um, but, like, these... Like, I feel like they've grown as characters and they've they've changed. And some of them, um, for the better. And, like, Rocket's become a little more of a dick. But I think that's because, you know, this is the first time that he's had people that cared about him. And he really doesn't know how to, like, handle that. And he's really struggling with that family aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also... Seeing a entire set piece with Rocket kicking ass set to um, Glenn Campbell's Southern Nights is something I didn't know I wanted, but found out that, you know, I'm so happy that's in there. There's a lot of things that I never knew that I wanted that are in this movie because uh, James Gunn really gets bizarre at certain points in this film. Um, there's Howard the Duck making a cameo. There's David Hasselhoff making a cameo. Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Yeah, like, this film, like, really gets bizarre at points, and not just with those kinds of moments, but also, too, um, there are some uses of, like, slow-mo that are used for just really campy uh, effect. Um, You know, going to that scene, I I think, that you're discussing there, where um, all the enemies are being kind of, like, blown out up into the sky by Rocket, Mm -hmm. by these traps that he's setting. And you're just seeing the groups of bodies in a long shot just flying in the air screaming. To me, I just found that to be so over the top and so ridiculous. But yet it fits in well with this universe that James Gunn has created. And I'm going to use that term here, universe, as a a branching off point in uh, talking about Guardians of the Galaxy's place within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love, love the fact that not another Marvel character other than mentions of Thanos was included in this movie. I am so happy we didn't see Thor. I am so happy we didn't, like, anything. Super happy. I was afraid Doctor Strange was going to show up at some point in this movie. And I could not be more glad that he didn't. Because I thought it would have distracted from what Gunn was trying to do with these characters, ultimately. Originally, the Hulk was supposed to appear. Um, to kick off the see, like that Hulk wouldn't have worked. They're doing Thor. Mm-hmm. It just would. It would overshadow everything else that Gunn is trying to do with these characters in this movie. I, I, I'm so happy that he didn't do it. I agree. It's definitely it's a smaller story. Like it's not. It's even smaller than the first one. Like I feel like it's a more intimate story. Um, it's more just about these characters than like the overall big bad and like. Saving the galaxy, which, you know, there is galaxy-saving stuff in there, but, like, I mm-hmm. think that's less important than who these characters are and what their, like, personal baggage is. Can we talk for a moment, too, uh, about the uh, the villain in this movie now for a moment here? Um, the godlike villain uh, that is Kurt Russell. So you're gonna um, jump spoilers? Well, not necessarily here. Um, it's just... It's one of those things where... Okay, I'm going to I'm going to try to tackle this in a couple of different bullet points here. Bullet point number 1. Uh 70s recreation of Kurt Russell in the very beginning. Yeah. Holy mother of god is the CGI getting ridiculously good in films. This is the best I think I've ever seen that de-aging process look. Like it looked way better than either Tarkin or Princess Leia in Rogue One. I think it looked awesome. I, I thought it was Kurt Russell under makeup. 
just a reminder that pretty soon we won't need actors. We can just resurrect all the good ones and make You're them right. look like they're living. It's a little scary, actually. Let's not jump ahead. You know, let's just, uh, you know, take a moment to just appreciate the fact that the technology is absolutely insane. We don't know exactly where it's going yet. Um, I still want to believe in an idealistic way that uh, we're not going to be resurrecting Paul Newman or anything like that right now. I, I do appreciate Kurt Russell's fair hair. That was, that was <laughs> to see. It's shocking, though, how some people are able to do it better than others. I mean, sometimes you do it and they have that weird, dead, like, uncanny valley look. Yeah, that waxy look, like like Tarkin did in Rogue One, I thought. He wasn't too bad, but, like, Tron. Oh, yeah, Tron in, is in the Tron worst. And it was horrible, but, like, this, like, it looked, like, photorealistic. Like, if you didn't know any better, you just think that was, like, young Kurt Russell. Curious case of Benjamin Button is still the gold standard for me. Um, I, I don't know where the effect begins and where it ends in that movie. Well, that honestly. one, you know, they their whole budget was spent on that effect, right? So, I mean, that I hope would be good. So, so that's bullet point number one. Uh, bullet point number two in regards to ego, uh, Kurt Russell's character in this movie, is also um, the fact that this is um, this is a criticism. Now, I'm I'm going to finally uh, address something here that hopefully will make Kristen happy. I absolutely hate it when you have a godlike being and you don't know the extent to how powerful he is and what his weakness is. And it's the same exact goddamn issue I had with X-Men Apocalypse, Suicide Squad, and seemingly every single superhero film that has to make their villain, quote unquote, like immortal to a certain extent. Because my response is always, okay, if you're godlike, why don't you just snap your fingers and vaporize everybody? That's never addressed. It's the genie principle. That's what I call it from Aladdin. Uh, phenomenal cosmic power, itty bitty living space. Um, and that's kind of what we get. You know, we, we get told repeatedly that he's this immortal god who can create life, who can create the world. And I'm assuming he's best friends with whatever those things were in Prometheus at the beginning. Um, but <laughs> but I like that. we never really get any extent other than like, oh, he planted a flower in the beginning. You know, where what is the payoff? What what does that mean? And then you get this weird cut to like this planet being like attacked, and that goes nowhere. You know, the, it's like blue goo. Yeah, it just it just happens, I guess, to show us something. And, yeah, he's he's uh, defeated for reasons. I, I will say I have to agree with you. I think the weakest part, like, I love the first, like, two-thirds of the movie, but that final third I thought was pretty weak. And maybe it's because I had just seen the first one, so I had already, you know, just lived through this whole, you know, big, like, we have to stop the bad guy. But, like, when they're they're fighting at the end of this movie, I'm just like, all right, let's... I'm ready to go. Like, I'm, I'm kind of checking out. Now, can, can I tell you what worked for me about that, though? Um, what actually worked the most for me during that scene wasn't the action, like the, the set piece of it all, but more so the banter between the characters. Like, trying to see Baby Groot uh, try to, like, you know, help the team out, but yet he doesn't know, like, what button to push on this mechanism device. Uh, little things like that. Uh, really, really helped me get through what was ultimately a very arduous and long uh, it set piece. It is long. It is drawn out. And, like, I liked the first one better in that regard because, you know, every superhero movie does this. They have this long set piece with the villain and they have to, all the team has to get together to fight the villain. But the first one was so interesting because, like, they he defeated Ronan with dancing. He had, like, this dance battle with Ronan. And it was so, like, different and it felt kind of fresh. This one was just your typical like superhero affair. Um, that that's my biggest criticism. It my criticism seems like I just keep repeating issues that I've had with several Marvel movies, which is that if you have a villain whose goal is pinky in the brain to take over the world, I want to see what that would entail. I need to have some. And I mean, really, it's it's why they say that Marvel, the only villain that's, I think, actually memorable and successful is Loki. Because even though Loki has that kind of grand, omnipotent desire for domination, 
he also just really hates Thor, you know, and he just like wants to to screw with him the entire time. Um, here, mm-hmm. I and I won't spoil it until we get to the spoiler section, but this movie is daddy issues of the galaxy, essentially, because. Star-Lord wants to bond with his dad, and Nebula's all pissed at her dad, and, you know, Yondu doesn't realize that he always wanted to be a dad. I don't really know. Okay, so you have these different characters looking at the depiction of fatherhood, and it feels so stupidly gendered, which just pissed me off. You know, uh, Star-Lord, there's literally a scene where they get to play catch, you know, like, oh, yay. It's like it's like watching in Toy Story 2 when Buzz Lightyear <laughs> bonds with Emperor Zurg. You know, that's essentially oh what that whole plot line felt to me. Um, you know, Nebula's like, oh, I hate my dad because he tried to make us fight and he took machinery. It's almost like a weird, like, molestation-y plot line. Like, you need to let your bitterness go. Like, wait, I'm very confused. And, of course, Gamora is all of a sudden, like, nurturing and... You know, like, you need to talk to your dad and bond with him. I don't know why I'm saying that, because I'm a woman. Um, so, I mean, all of that really bothered me. But when you have a villain who has to give you a really compelling reason why he's the villain, and I, I'm not going to spoil it, but I think you all, there's a piece of dialogue that is thrown out there with no provocation, and really, if you're a villain, that would be the last thing that you would want to reveal before you actually, like, you know, get what you need. Um, that I was just like, really? Then you've obviously not written a good villain if you have to actually give a really compelling reason. Like, this guy kicks puppies or something. You you shouldn't have to do that um, to make your villain evil. I have to say, in regards to that moment, that it does feel like it's the ace in the hole uh, moment where it's like they really just had to, like, pull it out because Kurt Russell is so freaking cool and it's like we really need the audience to now hate him. Um, I, I did feel, I did feel like it was a cheat, but I really, really loved, um, the reaction that it got a from the audience and B from, um, Chris, Chris Pratt's character, um, in this moment too. Um, moving on to another bullet point though here, uh, I want to just say, um, and then you guys can tell me if you agree with me or not on this. One of my big criticisms about Marvel films is how they look like they're shot for television. The cinematography is always bland and very boring to me, with the exception of something like Doctor Strange. But that was more so, in my opinion, um, based on visual effects. I genuinely felt that this film might just be the prettiest Marvel movie uh, we have gotten yet. Does anyone else agree with me on this at all? It's colorful. The first Guardians movie is good, is visually good too. Um, but this one, yeah, like Kristen said, it's very colorful, and I think it's it's like beautiful. Like some of the scenes where they're flying through the galaxy and stuff is gorgeous to look at. Like this film actually looked like a movie uh, in many ways. Like I mean, you look at like the first Avengers film. Uh, I'm amazed when I go back and rewatch that, like how bland it is visually. Um, but yet something like this. The colors really, really do pop off the screen. And there is some really, really intricate and well-thought-out production design and costume design going on in this film, which I think is going to really get overlooked. Um, But I have to say, from a technical standpoint, I thought this film was really, really well done. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think, you know, um, their costumes all are awesome and it. They really pop. I mean, all the colors on their costumes and the Ravengers with their red costumes and, you know, Nebula's, like, bright blue skin. Um, it definitely looked good. I mean, the screening that I saw it on, it was crystal clear. So, I mean, it, everything really popped really well. And I thought the 3D was used to pretty good effect as well. Uh, now, there's one uh, character, too, that we also haven't really uh, touched on. And I feel terrible. I actually don't remember her name. Maybe uh, maybe this is her name. Uh, Empathy? Is that what she's called in this movie? Mantis. Mantis. Yeah. Mantis. Oh my god. Yeah. See, uh, she's ugly. It's still... She's hideous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did Did anybody feel that that was a little forced? Um, her relationship with Drax. No, I thought that was hysterical. I didn't really know if it was supposed to burgeon into a romantic relationship or not. Even though it was kind of like a back and forth, like we just pair. Well. Keep in mind, my issues with the relationships in this movie in, in, went into the first one, which is two people of opposite genders 
who are, you know, kind of similar personalities are bound to have to hook up. I think they give out a Cheers reference in this episode, or in this uh, movie. That they do. I was like, uh, yeah, that doesn't make it better. Um, you know, and of course, every woman in this movie still wants to bone Chris Pratt for reasons. You know, like he's James Bond. Oh, that's not true. Gamora doesn't really want to do that with him necessarily. Oh, but, but we're we're leading up to that. I mean, that's essentially what it is. We have to give out the aside that, like... His sexiness is going to melt her cold green heart or something. Well, it, it um, isn't really his sexiness. It's more of his vulnerability um, and that actually re- does really? it. Really? Yeah. Really? We, we got vulnerability? I got, like, He lost all of his cheesy. family. He lost all of his parents. So... <laughs> it's not until, like, he loses every, like... E- I, it's so funny because I keep, like, trying to say, like, his parents, but it's like he's got, like, multiple daddies and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty weird. But... It's when he like you know he has those moments of loss and sadness that she's all like oh you know yeah and- she's like oh it's so sad that you're sad we should bone no see I'm not buying it I'm not buying it mm. okay that, uh, you know what the hey you know what that's fair <laughs> I do really like though that um, they are not still a a thing which is also something that he alludes to multiple times hey there's this thing between us you know and she's all like hey, yeah yeah get over it you know. <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I thought that was all I thought that was all the bluff. That that played like a, a bluff. Mm. So you so yeah, so you I really think, truly believe that I, I she think does that, like Yeah, like they're them. they're gonna hook up. It's gonna happen. It's cause it's got to. But I mean we have two movies and they haven't yet. She's still holding him at and, arms. Which I, I would, appreciate. I would appreciate yeah, I would appreciate keeping it that I would I would love for Zoe Saldana to get something to do in these movies. Because Oh, this, you didn't think her relationship with uh, her sister was you know, good for her character. Yeah, I thought it was it great. It was her being like, get over it. And it, I, I think my problem was is that in the first film, she was, she had that wall and it was still allowing her to be tough and to take care of herself. In this, she's so softened mm. that it felt like we just revised the character completely. It felt but like... But isn't the, that the whole idea of character development and changing a character? Well, why are the characters developed and changed that way i don't see anybody they, did. they totally did i spent like the last 20 now, minutes saying that it's easy i guess it must just be easier to soften a female character than i guess men are far too complex uh no clearly i don't agree with you what 100 i do not agree with you at all i'm shutting you down right now i think yondu has changed a lot yeah but 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 but, but i think that that also just highlights Kristen's complaint here that uh you know you saying that yondu has changed a lot Kristen's saying the men are more complex in this movie. I'm saying, yeah, the men the men are allowed to be soft, but still be able to take care of themselves. Here, you have a scene where Gamora is literally sitting in a field, like, doing nothing for one scene. And it was just... But she, she kicks ass just as much as any of the guys. I mean, she can definitely handle herself. She got that badass sword. Yeah, she saves the day. She's the one that in, cuts in the, the big monster in half. In the rest of the movie, she's just... Eh. Uh, I think I think we're just nitpicking, just a nitpick. I mean, she she's a hero just as much as any of them, and they, you know, that's what Drax says to uh, to Star Lord. He's like, you know, she's not a dancer, she's a, a fighter, a warrior. Basically, saying like to Chris Pratt, you're just an asshole, and she's not going to like you I'll because she's stronger the than you. Comment. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move over now into spoiler territory. For those that are listening right now. Uh, you could skip ahead at the end of our spoiler territory to hear our final thoughts and grades, but right now we're going to head right in over. If you have not seen Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, then skip ahead. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Okay, so a couple of different things I want to address here. Um, let's go to Ego's uh, big reveal to Peter, which is ultimately that he's the one that killed his mom by planting a brain tumor in her. So I'm going to explain why I thought that this was completely unnecessary. I really don't understand what his motivations were for actually doing that. Um, And I know it's kind of explained, but I I don't understand it. Like, you know, you're a God being in another world. You are a freaking world, um, which I still also don't understand and He's ego the living planet yeah don't even get me started um and you feel the need to kill this poor boy's mother why like if he hadn't done that i i because just don't see what the outcome brandy is Brandy, and he's the sailor 
Oh, wow. If she, if he didn't kill her, if he left her alive, he would have, next time he went back to Earth, he would have stayed on Earth, is what we say. You know, he apparently bangs millions and millions of women throughout the galaxy. <laughs> and this is the one. Right? planting his, <laughs> his seed far and wide across the galaxy, but, literally planting his seed, but this girl is the one that changed him and softened his heart with her 70s soft rock. And, you know, had he not taken her out, he would have given everything up for her. I'm just saying, if your if your alternative is, um, you know, just leaving her alone and instead you give her a brain tumor, uh, uh, like that just seems a little too extreme for me. Exactly. That's, <laughs> you know? that's exactly what it was. And that, that just ruined any, you know, I had moments in the movie that I enjoyed, but that just took me out completely. Like, okay, so by implication... None of the other women across the world, you know, universe that you've had sex with got the same treatment. Like, if he had said, like, that's what happens, like, they all die, it would have felt, you know, maybe, like, some world building or some rules for his character. In this case... He's responsible for all the breast cancer and exactly, all the brain exactly, of the world. Exactly, like, yeah, or just <laughs> by being, like, in presence, like, he's irradiated or something. Like, there are ways to explain that. Here, he's just, like, out of all the women in the world, your mom was the most unfortunate because um, her vagina was so majestic that I had to kill her at the end. Um, you know? And, I, and that's exactly how it comes exactly. off. And it comes off so... So, if you think about it, if you think about it, you know, you have the conversation that we're having. But in the moment, like, he says the line, everyone in my audience gasped. And then uh, the next thing that happens is Peter proceeds to shoot the shit out of uh, Kurt Russell, which got a huge reaction from everybody. And I can yeah, tell I you, too, theater, like, cheered when that happened. Yeah, I was suckered into it as well. And I was really like, yeah, yeah, get that fucker, you know. But then it wasn't until I left the theater later that I started thinking about all yeah. of this. But I can tell you in the moment, it was no, pretty no, sweet. I, I groaned <laughs> so loud. I rolled my eyes because my whole thing is it's like if you're watching a movie about a bank heist and they're like right outside the vault and they're about to open it. The guy who's like the only person that can open the vault, he's doing his job. And the guy standing next to him is like, oh, yeah, you know, this is great. We're going to have all this money. Oh, and by the way, I shot your mom in the face. And then you're like, wait, why would you do that at, before you actually have what you've set out to do? You know, I, I would think you would want to wait, and especially considering that all of the children have died already, which is what you find out that, you know, he kind of, like, takes their life force, or I guess, like, essentially does whatever Rogue was gonna end up doing in uh, the first X-Men movie. Um, oh my god. But, but I would think that you would wait. If he's gonna die anyway, just from this process that he's going through, wait till the person's dead before you reveal this, like, horrible, horrible secret. Um, and it seems like Kurt Russell, the way he says the line, really believes that Peter's gonna look at him and be like, yeah, dad, she deserved it. I don't know what his reaction was, except to cause him to be upset, which is bad screenwriting 101. If your line is purely there for no other reason other than to get the scene to move to the third act, it's not written well. And that was my problem. Well, also remember, too, he doesn't care about consequence because yeah. Peter can't kill him. So he just totally disregards that. I don't think he's used to, like, normal human interaction. Like, I don't think he realized that Peter was going to be upset because he's a planet that lives by himself. And his only interaction, really, is with a mantis creature who puts him to sleep. And the idea of life and death being, like, this trivial thing to him as well. Oh, you can get over your mother being dead. Think of everything else that I'm talking about here, what my great plan is, and how much bigger that is than one person, you know? I I, I kind of get it from that standpoint. It just still felt che cheap to me. Um, it, it did to me, too. And, I mean, I was sort of expecting this reveal, not in this way. Because in the comics, Peter has a different dad, and he also with an alien father, but that alien accidentally poisons the mother. Like he doesn't realize that sleeping with her. And is see, that get the would make sense. Sickness. That would have been good. I would have. I, I, that. So I was expecting that yeah. reveal, and then all of a sudden he was like, "I planted that tumor," and I was like, "Oh, that's different." <laughs> mm. Um. All right. One thing I did not feel cheated by though is um, the character development of the, of Yondu, and how. To me, it really did feel organic um, that this surrogate father, 
um, really did have a soft side for Peter, um, even though he was hard on him all this time and is so reluctant to give up um, Peter to, you know, his crew. And there's this whole mutiny and um, he's really he's outcast by the other. What are they called? Ravengers? Ravengers. Yeah, he's like outcast by them uh, in that like the only Sylvester Stallone scene in the whole movie. Apparently, he's going to be a more. Um, well, Stallone's team is the original Guardians because in the comics, these guys have never been the Guardians before until the movie came out. So oh. the original Guardians of the Galaxy team is the team that we see with Sylvester Stallone at the end of the movie, the after credits. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. They're the real like Guardians of the Galaxy. But I really felt they did the character Yondu complete justice by giving him what was, uh, in my opinion, one of the more memorable set pieces of the film with the arrow. Um, that was, well, one, it was extremely violent for kids. That's number one. Um, two, it was actually quite beautiful to watch at times. Um, and I really liked the slow-mo effect and all the bodies falling. I, I, I just, like, there was something about it in an over-the-top sense that um, – I think at this point, like anything that James Gunn decides to do with these films that you would look at it and go, oh, that's very cheesy. He's really, really kind of, like I said, created this universe where it works. And I, and I, and I don't feel like it should work, but it really, truly He's does. He's great at distilling like the best characters to put together. Like I would never think that Yondu and Rocket would create like a great character pairing. But here we are. I mean, I thought those were some of the best scenes of the movie where it was basically just Rocket and Yondu hanging out and, like, shooting the shit. Mm -hmm. I, like, love them just talking and hanging out or, like, Drax and Mantis. Or, like, uh, you know, just trying to get Baby Groot to, uh, what was it, get keys, was it? Oh, my God, when he stole that guy's eye. Yeah. And Rocket's like, I, I really want it. What did he look like? Oh, I love it. That was an awesome, the perfect throwback that you could do to the previous movie without, like, beating us over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yondu, at the end of the film, uh, actually gives his life to save Peter. Um, yay, nay. Did you guys find it to be touching to a certain degree? I, I was surprised that he got, like, the Viking funeral and everything at the end of the movie. And it was – it was it, it got to me. It really did. I was surprised. It didn't really do much for me until the Ravengers came and kind of gave him that Viking funeral. Then I got a little, like, emotional towards it. I was a little, like, choked up. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I like how they, they came full circle with this. Mm -hmm. I thought the humor was so much better in this one. Like, I even watching the first one again, I'm like, I just didn't find it that funny. Like, the humor just didn't connect with me. Other than Drax. Drax was hysterical in the first film. He was funny in the first one. I think he's funnier in this one. I think he really is a lot more comfortable in his role. Like, he just, it works better. He feels more natural, organic. Mm-hmm. All right, final thoughts, grades out of 10, Oscar potential. Uh, we ready to move on? Yeah. Let's move on then. All righty, uh, Mike, we'll start off with you. Take it away. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, as I've gone on and on about, I loved this movie. I think it's a huge step forward for the series and the franchise. I think it's way better than the first one. Um, again, kind of like what you said before, Matt, I think – it's weird. Like, if you really loved the first one, I feel like you should love this one because you're just getting more of what you liked. But I feel like a lot of people who did love that first one so much aren't as into this one. But it's definitely worth checking out regardless. It's it's the next step. It's the evolution of these characters. I mean, even if you just come and, like, like the characters, it's interesting to see what they're up to and checking in on them. Um, this film actually gets me way more hyped for Infinity War than I was previously because... I really had no interest in the Guardians, but now I'm actually excited to see what they're going to do with them interacting with the core Marvel heroes that are on Earth um, once Thanos comes to Earth in the next movie. Um, also, I loved the ending credit scene with Adam Warlock. thought that was really cool. Um, so that's kind of a spoiler, but I thought it was really cool to see that character he's been hinted at in the previous Guardians movie, and so it's cool to actually get him on film in this one. Um, so, love this movie a lot. Oscar potential, I think it could definitely do hair and makeup, um, possibly costumes, and I would give it an eight and a half out of ten. No halves, so nine or an eight. I'll give it a nine then. All righty then, Kristen Lopez. Yes, my final thoughts <laughs> are not what y'all want to hear. Um, so no, I do want to hear it because it's going to be in contrast to everything that Mike just said, and you know what too. 
we're not we're not bullshitting anybody when we say that there are two sides here i I, like i said i am i am very very surprised um that this movie does not have unanimous praise and that it just seems to be camp a and camp b and you you fall into camp b and there are (laughs) many 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 like you Kristen. so Um, your opinion here is completely valid so my final thoughts um oscar potential visual effects maybe um that's about it, though. I don't see anything 70s else. 70s Kurt Russell, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. Um, if anything, it'll make people watch uh, his uh, 70s Disney films. Um, Escape from New York. Or, or that. Um, but but um, I don't know. I thought this was uh, pretty much I sound like a broken record when it comes to Marvel movies. I feel that they all really have a, a series of beats they need to hit especially in terms of the grander connections which leads them to feel like they're big bloated kind of a to b to c type of narratives um and this especially i think suffered from a lot of issues that i see in television you know it was it doesn't look like a television show but it felt like a television show in terms of you have this group of characters that are splintered and you have these competing storylines you go back and forth on and one of them is easily more entertaining than the other depending on your perspective you have villains that are only there to serve as flies in the ointment to be pushed away um and yet they're supposed to be important um the characters i thought when they weren't being revised are just kind of doubling down on some of the more annoying characteristics um Chris Pratt, I thought, was was entertaining in the first film. And maybe a lot of it now is kind of just seepage from, like, Jurassic World, just the Chris Pratt persona. But I found him to be ridiculously annoying. Um, so I, I thought this was just blah for me. Um, I wasn't outright bored in terms of, like, my mind wandering. But I was like, I'm never going to watch this again. It's another Marvel movie that I know I'm just not going to care about. Um and honestly, I don't know if there's any Marvel movie coming in the next couple of months that I'm going to care about. Um, so overall, I'm going to give it, a, you know, I was a bit higher on it in my initial review, but I'm going to give it a five. Okay. All right, then. Um, I have the exact opposite thoughts of Kristen. That is it. No, I, no, no, I have a little bit more to go into here. Um, number one, Baby Groot is the greatest yes. thing. Ever. We need to That's... praise, yes, I will say Baby Groot is the scene stealer. Let's just make a movie about him. Like, that'll make me happy. Yeah, cutest little thing ever. Um, cuter than Baby Dory. I Baby mean, Moana? This thing is... Yes, <gasps> absolutely. There is, a, there is a moment in this movie where Baby Groot, like, is getting crushed and, like, cries, and I got so sad. And it was, like, a split-second moment, and it just killed me. Um, that's how much I cared about this character. That hazing scene is like a horror movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's number one. Number two, two things rule of film at the end of the day, plot and character. This film doesn't really seem to have a lot of, a lot of plot, but it's got a shit ton of character. There is a lot of growth of the characters in this film and their relationships with one another. And no character, in my opinion, gets the short shrift here. Um, at least none of the important characters, which I think is a very, very tough thing for a director to do, especially a writer-director, but yet James Gunn really, really does make it work. The set pieces, the action, really seems to be secondary, Um, and that is where the film gets um, a bit of criticism from me. Now, if the plot uh, had moved along a little bit more in terms of just advancing the story, um, other than Peter Quill kind of getting over his daddy issues in this movie... Uh, then we'd be looking at a, a higher grade here, but originally I would have given this like a 7 out of 10, but I, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10, and the reason for that is because I just found the humor to be um, an advancement. I thought visually the film was an advancement. I thought the character interactions were better. Um, there's just a lot of aspects of this film that I really thought they did better than the first film, and... I understand the complaints. I understand uh, uh, everyone's misgivings. I I get it. But for me, I really, really thought the good outweighed the bad here. Um, And one other thing, too, I also just want to uh, point out about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is that 
this film is how do I say this? You know, I, and I kind of I kind of said it before, but I'm trying to find another way to say it. I'll, I'll just I'll just say it the same way I said it before. It, to me, it functions as like a standalone movie, um, where there is always that idea of setup for the next film, and there's a little bit of that here, but there are no other Avengers characters, no other Marvel characters that are kind of like you know bumping their way into this movie and sharing screen time, uh, and thus taking away from the characters. This just feels like its own contained small story, much like um, Star Trek Beyond felt kind of like a small contained episodic in nature story. That's what this kind of felt like. So in comparing it to like almost like a television episode in a way, uh, this is the episode of Peter Quill discovering uh, his parentage. You know what I mean? And for me, that contained story allowed for uh, a lot more character development, which I just find to be a more important factor. Oscar potential. I think visual effects right now. Um, it's early in the year, but I think visual effects certainly. Um, and best hair and makeup. Once again, uh, I know this, uh, the first film was nominated for Best Hair and Makeup. I think this one could definitely uh, score that nomination again as well. But I do want to also emphasize the production design and the costume designs are also extremely on point in this film. So Guardians of the Galaxy does get a recommendation uh, from myself for Volume 2, might I add. Uh, the first one's still good, but I think this one is a tad bit better. Okay, Kristen, where can they find you on the internet? You can send me your crappy tweet saying how I'm being paid by DC to Twitter at journeys underscore film. How about you, Mike? You can find me on Twitter at vampdt89. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to our review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and player fm be sure to leave us a review on itunes we would certainly appreciate your feedback and we will see you all next time Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.